May this day bring pleasure to our Father. May he be glorified in this time with this conference. We're so grateful for everybody again to join here. I pray that everybody's been having a great time. And uh, this is the final day. We're already at the final day of the conference. I can't believe it. We've made so many new friends. Got to rejoice with some old friends. And it's just such a blessing to be able to see the growth of the body of the Messiah. As we're all, as many people here have said, you're the elect ones. You're the hands and the feet of the Messiah in this time. You were all chosen to be part of this generation. And you know that old saying that the Father gives his hardest battles to his greatest warriors. When I look in this crowd, I know you've all been called to be mighty warriors, generals in his army, and we have such a great job to do. So having this time to come together, to have a refuge, to worship together, to study together, to discuss together, I pray that we never forget the core the core of who we are is to love one another also. So whether we have friendly debates or you know, discussions about things that we disagree with, that's okay. Always remember, love one another. That's the most important thing. And love your Father in heaven. So with that said, thank you all for worshiping with us today. We're going to go ahead and get started with our first presentation that comes from an infamous friend of ours, Noel J. Hadley, the uh, author of a lot of books and a publisher of the Flat Earth, uh, the Unexpected Cosmology, which has a lot of awesome stuff. So I'll let him tell you where you can get involved with his Discord group that has a lot of awesome people, and uh, looking forward to the presentation. All right, shalom everyone. My name is Noel Joshua Hadley. I am the creator, writer, editor-in-chief, and all-around big burrito over at The Unexpected Cosmology. Uh, it's good to see my Tuck family here in the splash zone. I promise I'll try hard not to uh, spit too far um, as I talk. I'd like to thank uh, Zen Garcia, a friend of mine, for inviting me here on this day, as well as uh, Justin and Joy, the entire Sacred Word family, for hosting this uh, wonderful event. I'm going to get right into it because i got tons to cover today, and I see the clock in front of me is already ticking down so fast. Uh, so this is Millennial Kingdom plus Mud Flood, and if you have questions as to what that is, I promise to answer some questions, but give you way more questions than answers. So uh, this is, the, of course, the mud flood. And I, I, was <laughs> I came here today thinking that like everyone had a basic understanding of what the mud flood was. And I, uh, since being here over the weekend, I've had like probably a couple dozen people come up to me and go, are you the mud flood guy? And I'm like, yeah, I guess I'm the mud flood guy. And they're like, I just heard about the mud flood 15 minutes ago. And I'm like, oh, man. So. <laughs> Um, anyway, so here you go. Here's the mud flood right here. The mud flood was a, a worldwide event or a series of events that happened, we estimate, about 200 years ago, give or take. Let's just throw out a, a random year out there, 1812. It's a nice, clean number. And you can, you can test this out for yourself in any old city, and I challenge everyone to do it. It's just like the flat earth. You can go out and test this and discover this. And we see all over the world, you see the two pictures on the right is in somewhere in Russia. Over there in the middle is on the west coast of America. I can't remember if it's Portland or Seattle. It's one of the two. 
And then right here we see Washington, D.C. This picture right here, Washington, D.C., was right after September uh, 11, 2001. And for whatever reason, they opened up the state capitol building there along the National Mall. And you could see that it goes much, much deeper, that they built this building way down. Uh, you can see here in the west coast of America where they are literally driving, they built a city up over an old building. And so all over the world we have this event, a mud flood event that submerged the earth in about 12 to 15, maybe 20 feet on average, um, and some places much more than that. And for whatever reason, instead of digging it all out, they decided to just start building on top of it. And so the, the thing about the mud flood is, is that I challenge you to go to any history book, any Illuminati written history book, and find where the mud flood happened. It didn't happen. So this is a worldwide conspiracy that the governments of the world decided to get together. Everyone is so worried about the New World Order coming. Well, I'm telling you, the New World Order has been here for 200 years, some iteration of a worldwide conglomerate of deception. And it all goes in with the, uh, the, the flat earth theory as well. So here's my own hometown of Charleston, uh, South Carolina, about five and a half hour drive from here. These are just a few photos that I took with some friends out on a tour. We have you know, dozens and dozens of photos. I'm not going to take you through all of them. This is something you could test for yourself. Charleston, South Carolina was built, uh, is a city that goes down about 12 to 15 feet. And you can see here where they just bricked in whole archways. Uh, you can see uh, where there's these staircases going down to these doors that lead, you know, they just built doors apparently underground. Now the big thing about this is that Charleston, according to official history, started two wars. They were instrumental in the American Revolution. Of course, they started the American Civil War. Nowhere do you see anything about the mud flood. Over there on the right, that's the big giveaway right there. You see, they will tell you these are like crawl spaces, but who puts door hinges on a crawl space like that big enough to put, a, this door was so big you could, you could pull a, a, cart, a horse and cart through it. Here's another picture from my hometown of Charleston. And this is a, a whole um, a series of photos you can find what we call vanilla skies. And for whatever reason, we have all the thousands of photos in the 1800s and somebody made it their effort to crop out the skies. They took scissors to it because they don't want you to see what's in the skies. Now the big giveaway in this photo here, the reason why we know that the entire sky was cropped out, and this is a, a, a popular um, picture of the end of the Civil War when Charleston was in ruins, um, is you can see right there in the center, in the, in, the, in the rafters, the sky is darker. They weren't able to crop that out, but they were able to crop out all the sky around it. So what were they hiding? And this is a big question we have. Was it uh, you know, air technology before they invented airplanes, all these kind of things? Here is the city of Jerusalem, and now many people in the mud flood uh, research uh, claim that the land of Israel is not the historic Israel, uh, that it's in other places. Many of them are looking to the United States, America, as the, as the land of promise. Um, and I, I, I myself hold that the land of Israel is the historic Israel. If somebody can come up with really good evidence uh, to point to another location, like a lot of people are looking to Utah, I'm happy to look at it. But um, anyways, what's interesting about Jerusalem is that, you know, it was just a flea market in the desert in the 1800s, covered in mud. You can see the oldest photos. It's all buried. In fact, on the far right here, this archaeologist, I follow his YouTube channel, forgive me, I can't remember his name at the moment, but he's giving a tour of the actual location. They found the actual chair where Pontius Pilate judged uh, Yehusha HaMashiach. And that red line there, he's saying that his college professor back in the 70s 
excavated that site. In the 1970s, up to that red line, it was covered in mud. And uh, he said that his professor would put his lunch every day in that hole in the wall uh, right there. So it's crazy to think about that they were, they were still digging Jerusalem out of the mud in the 1970s, not that long ago. Now, this is a, um, a, a general timeline that I'm going with here. And I, I'm not really big on charts, but you know, a lot of people really like the visuals. Uh, and I put a lot of work, I will not be covering a few things today. I will not be covering why I believe the year 7080 is so important to understanding. Uh, a lot of people, they really, there's this big push to say Revelation was written in the, in the 90s. And it's, it's to jar you, uh, to detach you from the fact that um, I believe all of scripture was written by 70 AD uh, and that it was all fulfilled. And um, so um, what, in my research, I have, I have shown that uh, the Greek LXX is the more accurate timeline. In fact, all the New Testament writers were quoting from the Greek LXX. The, Masoretic is the, the, the Hebrew Masoretic is the youngest text we have. The Greek LXX is a thousand years older than the, the Hebrew Masoretic. I don't have time to go into all that, and you can research that for yourself. So according to the Greek LXX timeline and all the books that are, the extra biblical books that are associated with it, Yehusha HaMashiach arrived in the year 5,500. Now according to Hebrew Masoretic, he arrived in the year 4,000. So you have a 1,500 year um, discrepancy right there. That's a huge problem. He arrived in the year 5,500, and according to all the, this timeline, the millennial kingdom of Yehusha HaMashiach came upon the earth physically, not spiritually, physically upon this earth in the year 500 AD. Now, what's interesting about this is that this is 500 AD is when Rome fell, and uh, this is when we learned that the Dark Ages came upon the earth from 500 to 1500. That's Orwellian language right there. The Dark Ages were really the Light Ages. All right, so it was not primitive, it was not barbaric. It was a time, I believe, that the, the Millennial Kingdom was on the earth and the saints were ruling with Yahushua HaMashiach. In the year 1500 is right when we get into, you know, Christopher Columbus, 1492, we get the fall of the Knights Templar, we get all these things happening, and we go into the Age of Enlightenment, which is the age of awakening uh, to the, the divine within, and this is an age of rebellion, and you see it in the art and the architecture and all these kind of things. Uh, and it, rebellion against the kingdom, and finally, um, we get to what we call Satan's little season. Now, this comes with Revelation 20. I'll go over this really quickly. So a lot of people ask, you know, there, people ask me, so Noel, you think the end times have already happened? I'm like, well, technically, we're just, we are in the end times. We're just really, 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 really far in the end times, much further than anyone uh, speculated previously. And so uh, a lot of people uh, are wondering if the year 1776, July 4th, 1776 is the, uh, the date of uh, Satan's release from prison. And Again, a lot of people will say, well, what prophecy is left? Well, I will encourage you. The menorah, of course, has seven um, uh, lights on it. And the last one is a representative of the eighth great day. The eighth great day has not been fulfilled yet. And I will encourage everyone to do a Bible study on all the references to the eighth great day. I will start you out on, on, on one, uh, I'll give you one breadcrumb for your trail. And that is circumcision, all right? Circumcision happens on the eighth day. What is associated with circumcision? The resurrection, all right? Circumcision of the heart, there is still a lot we're looking forward to.
All right, right here you see uh, a uh, Mont Saint Michel. I, if someone put a gun to my head, I could not pronounce a single French word correctly. Um, but uh, that was one of the greatest experiences of my life going out there. In fact, if you are a JRR a Tolkien fan, uh, he, he, he used that as inspiration for Middle Earth. It, interesting thing, it, it, it's just a surreal experience going there. Now, one of the things about this is that they will tell you that they built this uh, specifically as a monument to the actual location that Michael uh, conquered Satan and threw him into the abyss. What was the battle over? The battle was over Great Britain. The battle started on Great Britain, they went across the sea, and it ended right there. That's the spot. And so here we see Revelation 21 through 3. For those of you who need caught up to what I'm advocating, it says, And I saw an angel come down from heaven, having the key of the bottomless pit, and a great chain in his hand. And I, I would assume, at least according to this, it's talking about Michael. Uh, and, he, and he laid hold on the dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil, and Satan, and bound him a thousand years, and cast him into the bottomless pit, and shut him up, and set a seal upon him, that he should deceive the nations no more, till the thousand years should be fulfilled. And after that, he must be loosed a little time. Now, I will point out that the thousand years come to an end. That doesn't mean Satan is released right at the end of the thousand years. It's after that. There could be any number of years before he's released again. I don't know. I mean, I, was, I wasn't there. For those of you who uh, love the Twilight Zone like I do, um, I'm not going to even give context to that. You had to have been there. That's my favorite TV show of all time. But uh, we see a, a chart of the short season. And this is the population of the world over the last 12,000 years. And you see that uh, there's, according to the official narrative, there's hardly any population growth. And all of a sudden, 1800, and boom, it shoots up. And we've got billions and billions of people in the world. And that's telling you that there was some uh, catastrophic events. A couple hundred years ago, a lot of people died. And then we have, you know, very few people are left on the earth. We have a huge, huge influx of population. Uh, cabbage Patch Babies, this is fun. Uh, the, over there on the right, you see that the first film, uh, this is, of course, debated by historians, but the first film ever made, a uh, silent film in the 1800s, happened to be about the Cabbage Patch Babies. So think about this. The first film ever made was about harvesting babies, all right, and get, handing them off to people. And there's something very esoteric about uh, why they come out of uh, Cabbage Patches, the Cabbage Patch Babies. And I put a couple of scripture verses here. We see one from Yasher, or Jasher, and this is actually a very, I, I didn't have room to put the whole chapter in here. Uh, so I'll just read this little passage here. And the babes of the children of Yasherah were upon the earth like the herb of the field. This is uh, context. This is uh, in, when Moses is born and Pharaoh's trying to kill them all. Um, let me just see here. And, and when, when all the Mitraeans saw this thing, the Egyptians, they went forth, each to his field with his yoke of oxen and plowshare, and they plowed it up as one plows the earth at sea time. And when they plowed, they were unable to hurt the infants of the children of Yasharel. So the people increased and waxing, increased exceedingly. Basically, the story is that the children of Israel are basically like they're, <laughs> they're living in the herbs and the fields and like in the dirt. And they're like, and they're trying, the Egyptians are trying to plow them up to kill them. And the angels are, are protecting them. It's pretty crazy. And then we found this other passage here in the book of the Nazarene. And it actually says that when Yehusha HaMashiach resurrected uh, Yosef's garden, it was a cabbage patch. I found that really awesome. There's, there's something uh, connected with, like, cabbage patch babies and the resurrection. And this will lead into my next point. Actually, this is just, 
I'm not even going to explain this. Some of you will get this. Some of you won't. Uh, in the 1800s, after the mud flood, we see uh, we have this phenomenon called the orphan trains. And this actually went into the 1900s. A lot of people, they say, you know, we freed the slave, you know, slaves in the 1860s, whatever. Actually, slavery went on a lot longer than that. And it's almost like if you ever saw the original George Lucas Star Wars movie where the two droids are taken by the Jawas and they're all lined up and, and you know, the farmers go out and, you know, you kind of slap the thigh and check the teeth and be like, I'll take these two right here. That's actually what they did. They, did. they had millions of children without parents, a huge influx of children. We don't know where they came from. And they are being taken to Australia, they're taken through Russia, they're, they're taken through Ellis Island and put on trains and hauled out west. And they're repopulating the earth with all these children, we don't know where they came from. Um, and so, again, we have all these photos and documentation of just factories and coal mines and all these places where nothing but children were taken in there to work. And it's like, where were all the adults? Why did they need so many children to work their jobs? And, you know, one of the stunning things, too, is that many people will, they, they will look at their, when they study their genealogies, they don't have a clue. They don't have a clue that they actually came from the, uh, the orphan trains, their ancestors. Speaking of trains, um, one of our big theories is that the train routes, we are told they were built in the late 1800s, when in fact they were they, way, way before that. And, um, it is my uh, conclusion that the American West already had uh, trains going all the way out to California um, at a very early time. And I think a, one of the theories I put forward for this is, uh, you can see in Leviticus 23 there, and it talks about the wave uh, sheaf off offering. And a lot of these train routes, they, you can see there, they, going, they all lead to these huge palaces and uh, capital buildings, cathedrals, and I think that they were leading the people to the, the different priests so that they can give their offerings. Also, I'll point out that, uh, you know, let's see, you th see things like the Donner Party. That was, a, that was a fake story put forward by the Freemasons and the Jesuits in the newspapers. And it, the, the, whole, the whole lesson is you keep to the trail, don't go off, because they didn't want them finding these places. They didn't want to find the railroads, the roads, the, the cities. You just You keep to the trail, or else you're going to end up eating each other. That was the, the moral of the lesson. Now, this is another interesting phenomena that we see all through history. Uh, and you could, t again, test this out for yourself. Um, how can I explain this as simply as possible? It appears as though... There was a count in A.D. that went up to the 700, so four, five, six, seven hundred, and then it stopped. And then suddenly, for whatever reason, our controllers decided to add a thousand years, and we go from the 700s to the 1700s, to the 1800s. And one of the ways you can look at this for yourself, you can test this out, and you can look at old coins, maps. You're going to see a lot of these apparent ones, and they're actually eyes. The eyes for Jesus, the year of Jesus, 592, 602. The big giveaway is there in Boston. I love that one because you see the year of Jesus, 734. Now, a lot of people will say, no, that's just a Roman numeral one. Could be. It could be. But then you're going to see a lot of the big giveaways is when they put an X for Christos. Or my favorite is J for Jesus. And you will see, you'll see like a J, you know, 643 or something like that. You're like, okay, well, there it is right there. Now, some of you, especially if you've been in the Flat Earth Awakening for some time, you're going to know about the Urbano Monte map. In fact, I think it was 
uh, Rob Skiba, who actually made it popular. It's, it's a phenomenal map that I, I, uh, you know, I would ask all of you just to spend a day of your life just absorbing every little detail in there. It is an amazing map. And it gives away a lot of stuff. So over here we see uh, the Palace of Fine Arts in uh, San Francisco. And this is what I would propose may very well be Millennial Kingdom architecture. It means it was here a long time ago, and this was a part of the World Fairs. Uh, I don't have time to go over the World Fairs, uh, where they were hauling millions and millions and millions of people on horse and buggy days, back when they had a farm to harvest. And they were successful in, in pushing them out into these World Fairs, which I uh, believe are these really old Millennial Kingdom cities. And they would put on psychodramatic episodes, like they would assassinate a president at one, or they would have a serial killer show up at another, or they would, you know, take people to Chicago and burn it down in front of them. And um, so what's interesting about the Urban Mon Urbano Monte map is that the Bay Area of San Francisco was not officially founded until 1776. It was not named the city of San Francisco until 1845. They were preparing for the gold rush hoax. Um, that's right, it was uh, the uh, uh, James Marshall and Sutter actually never found gold, they made the whole thing up. And, uh, but they needed a reason to get people out there. And, uh, but right there, you can see this Urbano Monte map was uh, dated 1587. I put a red there for the eye, because it's really 587. But you can see right there, uh, clear as day, San Francisco, it's a city in 587, 1587, how does that work with the official narrative? How in the world did the map maker in 1587 know that San Francisco would be discovered 200 years later and built up in the Bay Area? So here's another um, huge clue to the, to the puzzle. And these are melted cities all over the earth. There appeared to have been a point in history when there was a cataclysmic judgment on humanity, on the cities, and we just see melted cities. We see it all over from the Grand Canyon up through the Colorado Rockies up to Salt Lake City, just melted cities. In fact, the Native Americans have stories about that. And we see it all through the Middle East, particularly in Turkey. I see a lot. They're everywhere. And I put Second Peter in here because you all know the passage. And he talks about how in the past, Yah judged with water. Well, he has changed now, and his new agenda is to burn with fire. And he says that Sodom and Gomorrah were those mile markers. From now on, he's judging with fire. Well, then I ask you, when did this happen? Because this is... I believe this happened after Second Peter was written. There was a worldwide judgment event. We see melted cities everywhere. Over there, you see Petra, melted city. I mean, you see some of these like leaning over, and I mean, just there's so many photos I could take you through on that. Hey, I think I'm doing good on time. Still not going to make it through, but I'm doing pretty good. I'll cover this really quickly. Um, any Californians here? Anybody? In, yeah? A few Californians. You probably heard about California being an island at one time. We have tons of maps and uh, all showing that California was an island. And in fact, here on the left, they kind of show that California, like the Catalina Islands would have originally been the mainland. Some cataclysmic event happened in rather recent history that sunk California into the ocean. And, uh, and not only that, uh, the land rose because there was a, you see the, you see the residue of it, like with the, the Salton Sea, and in fact, maybe even the Great Lakes in uh, Salt Lake City, that might have been beachfront property back then. Well, now, going back to the, the, the burnt cities, I, I've done a lot of comp, 
contrast and comparison between the melted cities and these grand cities like London, or here we have Rome, right? And what I, what I showed was in this passage in Luke, when he's sending out the 70 and he's saying to them what they're commanded to do. And he says, those who reject the message of the kingdom, it says, the kingdom, uh, he says, it shall be more tolerable in that day for Sodom than for that city. So the basic idea is that when the kingdom came in, the people who had rejected the message, those places were toast. Uh, but the places that embraced it, uh, I think that they flourished as cities. And of course, where was Paul writing to? I know everyone says, well, that's the Vatican with the Roman Catholic Church. Well, where was Paul writing to? We know that the, the church was flourishing in Rome. They embraced the message of the gospel, and I believe they were rewarded for it. Another big one is Britain. By all accounts, Britain was the first fully converted to, uh, to Mashiach place on the earth, and I believe they were greatly rewarded for it. Uh, actually, I believe uh, my conclusions are that the United Kingdom was ground zero for the Millennial Kingdom. And I, again, I don't have time to go into the, the planting of Israel there. However, we can see on a very esoteric level, I mean, they're telling us the lion and the unicorn. Uh, the, uh, we all know that the lion is the lion of Judah. This is the Yahudim reconnecting with their brother uh, Manasseh and Ephraim again. So what did I put for, I put these down like two months ago, so <laughs> what did I write? Uh, this comes from Deuteronomy 33:17. His glory is like the firstling of his bullock, and his horns are like the horns of a unicorn. Okay, so this is, this is identifying Ephraim and Manasseh with, uh, with the unicorn. And uh, then we see in, in uh, let's see, oh, Revelation 5, 5, and one of the elders said unto me, weep and not hold the line of the tribe of Yehuda. Okay, so we, we have that established there that those are the, the two tribes. And the, the idea is, is that Yehuda uh, was ruling, I believe, from the throne in Great Britain. Um, we all know who that is, Yehusha HaMashiach. Uh, and then the, the stone of scone comes into that and fun stuff. Well, and here, once again, you see the Tav uh, and the flag of Great Britain. You actually see it everywhere, the, um, the, the mark. And, the, and we see here in Isaiah eleven twelve, and he shall set up an ensign for the nations. I think that's it right there. Um, and, and, uh, and shall assemble the outcasts of Yasharel and gather together the dispersed of Yehuda from the four corners of the earth. So everyone's asking, when is the, 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 next, the second exodus? I, sorry to break the news, but I, think it, I actually think it happened, and this was the ensign. The envy also of Ephraim shall depart, and the adversaries of Yehuda shall be cut off. Ephraim shall not envy Yehuda. That's important. Ephraim shall not envy Yehuda, and Ephraim shall not vex Ephraim. I think that's a prophecy for the Millennial Kingdom. Uh, I'll go over this really quickly. Um, we see that, it, this comes from 2nd Ezra, we see that the, the tribes of Israel, when they were divorced, vomited from the land. They went out to Nineveh, they went out to Assyria, and eventually they went all the way east, and we see on old maps here, 2nd uh, Ezra identifies, identifies the land where they went as um, Arzareth. And we could see here, you see there's Tar Tartaria right here. I call this the Lost Tribes of Tartaria. There's, uh, everyone wants to know about Tartaria. And right there on the map, uh, if you can see where that ship is going through the, the strait, right to the left of it, uh, it says uh, Arzareth, and it's letting you know that's where they went. In fact, a lot of these cities all through here, you see Naphtali and Reuben and uh, Manesha, they were all in here. And of course, they went over, uh, we call it a land bridge, whatever you want. They went right over to America. They settled in there, had big cities, um, and we all know about the Native Americans. All right. Uh, 
Actually, I'm five minutes behind now, so we're still doing good, though. All right, this is what I really wanted to cover for you guys today. And this is what a, a section I call the Hidden Wilderness and the Moon Map. So right over there where the, you see the red circles, that's actually for the circuit of the sun and the moon going through their gates, as Enoch would say. And you can actually see the AE map right there. You can see our realm. This is, uh, this is an inverted image of the moon. And, and I'll talk more about what you're actually looking at, but you can see where we're at in the United States of America, kind of up there in the, the right corner. You see South America below us. And then you have what's called, um, what is this? Uh, I can't even read it. A vista uh, something or other. You have this huge just chunk of land to the left. And I think this is what Admiral, Admiral Byrd was talking about when he talked about beyond the poles. So what we're actually looking at when we're looking at the moon is we're looking at uh, a composite imaging. We're looking at two separate pictures. And it's important to note that uh, you know, the moon cannot be landed upon. It is most likely plasma. It's, um, you know, you can just go on and on talking about the mysteries of the moon. But you can see side by side. Now, it, for those of you who maybe learned photography in the dark room before the digital era, you'll know what a negative is. You all remember, you know, back in the day when you go the one hour photo and they would give you your 24 pictures with like the, you know, the negatives in there and everything would be inverted. So my skin might be like dark and then I might have like really, you know, eerie kind of like white pupils. Everything is reversed. So the same thing is with the moon. It's actually a negative image. I believe it was actually a photograph taken of, uh, of the Earth. I don't know if this was taken on the fourth day of creation um, when, the, when the moon was created, and it was like a snapshot of that moment in time. I don't know if this is a picture of the ancient world, the, the you know, before Genesis 1-1. I, I couldn't answer that. But over there, we see the composite image. That is the only known photograph we have of the firmament and it's on the moon. In fact, that's, you see like the belly button, that's what gives it its, its uh, spherical uh, look right over there. And of course, I put the Shroud of Turin there, and the reason I did that uh, is because it, I kind of feel like we're looking at something very, very similar. And I, I'm not gonna go all into the Shroud of Turin. For those of you researching, you know that there's two images on the Shroud. There is his, his whatever his skin touched, you know, the blood went on there. But then in a, in a moment of time, we get the snapshot, like, like a, basically like an atomic bomb basically going off, you know, the type of, uh, type of energy in there to create a 3D image um, in the shroud. We see something very, very, very similar in the moon. It's something like a, a highly uh, just energetic event. And I put there, um, I guess I should read what I put. We live in an electrical realm. Cosmic electromagnetic energy is passed back and forth between the flat motionless plane below and the firmament above via the ether. And the moon tells us that. So going more into the greater realm, and, and I really think this, what I call the hidden wilderness over here is so key and central to understanding the, the globe earth deception as well as the Millennial Kingdom deception and why uh, they've lied to us, not about just about the Earth, but the entire timeline. We think we're in a completely different time than we really truly are. So this, uh, this work right here comes from a guy, a YouTube channel, I'll go ahead and plug him, uh, Vibes of Cosmos, I recommend checking him out. And what he did here, a lot of Flat Earthers have this idea that Antarctica is this like this ring around us. Well, what he's showing is that Antarctica is actually a series of islands and it's all frozen in there. And what he did was is he took all the, he's done tons of work, but he took all the different uh, bases from the different national entities uh, on Antarctica, on the globe, and he lined them up and he showed perfectly 
to the exact mile where they would all be stationed um, all around us there. All right, so one of the themes of literature very, very, uh, very early on, like Jules Verne and others, uh, was this idea that there, somewhere in our realm there is this lost kingdom, you know, of dinosaurs and primeval creatures. And you see like Jurassic Park, King Kong, that, that one over there is also the 1970s King Kong. The reason I did these is because in all of these, they always put up these like huge fences to keep the beast, the monsters in, right? You don't want them to break out. Well, the complete opposite truths of the hidden wilderness. Now, I put a, a quote there from the, a, a book that hardly anyone has ever read, and it's a phenomenal Edemic literature I recommend for all of you. The narrative of Zosimus and the whole thing is about the hidden wilderness. Uh, and he talks in there how um, basically it's the reason why it's hidden is because of Hasatan. And as long as Hasatan is free, it, it is disclosed. As soon as he is put in the abyss, it opens up. As soon as he's released from the abyss, it closes again. So my, my uh, conclusion is that during the Millennial Kingdom, everyone would have known about the expansive realm, and then they, the globe earth deception was how they shut it up again, uh, telling us that there was a lot less land than there really is. So for you JRR fans out there, and here's a picture from the recent Lord of the Rings uh, series on Amazon, a lot of people don't know this, that, you know, the undying lands, I'm actually, I mean, JRR was into some deep stuff, I'll tell you, he and C.S. Lewis, I mean, they had this head knowledge that just blows me out of the water. I know I have a, a C.S. Lewis fan in here somewhere. And uh, I, I think that the, the elves are a great metaphor for the Millennial Kingdom saints. You know, everyone hated them, and they were immorals, all this kind of stuff. They were the protectors of the realm, and they finally had to sail off to the Undying Lands. A lot of people don't know this, that according to Tolkien's cosmology, the Earth started out flat, and then there was a cataclysmic event which made it into a glow, which is really lame on an exoteric level. On an esoteric level, it's pretty brilliant. And he basically says in order to get to the... the, the the, the undying lands, the lands where the elves go in the west, that you actually have to leave globe earth. You have to take a high road. What he's basically saying on an esoteric level is that you can't use globe maps. You have to use a flat earth map to get there. That's why it's hidden for the elves. Uh, what was the point of this? It was other than being funny. Well, you can just read that and I'll just move on. Oh, yeah, uh, it, it, digging into the paleo, um, uh, that the, 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 the sons of Korak uh, actually means in the paleo, sons of the ice wall. And so when you're reading from Psalm 48 and some of the, those, it's pretty crazy because it talks about how Zion is in the north and there's this worldwide assault on, on, the, on Zion in the north. And, and so it's kind of interesting, the idea that, you know, these priests... Their names is the, the, uh, the Sons of the Ice Wall, you know, the land beyond. Oh, this is a fun little thing. Um, in our studies in Hebrew Revelation, yes, Revelation is in Hebrew, everyone gets really excited. Ooh, a new book. They opened up the books. And then we read about how the 144,000 are women. And as soon as people hear that, they're like, shut the book. I don't want to hear that anymore. That goes against everything I've ever learned. But in Hebrew, they are women. And uh, I love it, and that plays a part in the kingdom. And, and I tell people, you know, it's, it's, it's pretty awesome that the 144,000 are, are women because you can be a knight of the realm and you can protect the ladies. Of course, that one looks, she looks pretty, I don't know what she's doing with that sword. That's pretty badass over there, cutting off that head. 
This is awesome. I, I'm making good time. This actually, this really flipped me out when I read it. The Book of Pearl, it's considered perhaps the greatest find coming out of the Dark Ages. Only one copy survived. We don't know why. I, we could speculate. But in this book, it's another tale of a man who goes to the hidden wilderness uh, to see his daughter, who actually happens to be one of the 144,000. She confirms that they're all women. And there in that book, he actually, um, he actually goes and sees New Jerusalem. That really tripped me out. The big argument is when New Jerusalem comes down. Does it come down to the beginning of the Millennial Kingdom or after the short season? I'm of the opinion it comes down after the short season. But I've read plenty of ancient texts where they're telling you, when they write this a thousand years ago, hey guys, New Jerusalem's already here. It's already come down. So people, they fall for the, the Bill Nye uh, fallacy all the time. You know, when you looked out over the ocean, where's China? I can't see China. And so people are like, where's, you know, where's New Jerusalem? No, I can't see it. Well, he hides it. The, uh, you know, the, the greatest example I have is, uh, is when Pharaoh is pursuing Moses into the Red Sea. And the pillar of cloud comes down, and it's light for Israel, and it's darkness for Pharaoh. And he surrounds himself with darkness. He hides his, his holiness and... Uh, it's, you know, a place where only the immortals can go, only the people who are righteous and not sinners. Uh, yeah, I don't need to comment on that one. We'll just move on. I'm running out of time. Oh, the prog clock. This is a lot of fun. I'll spend a few minutes on this one. So up here we see, uh, you know, the big question is, is, are we in the age of Aquarius yet? Nobody really knows. I speculate that uh, September 23rd, 2012 is a good marker for the age of uh, awakening. We are seeing people all over this flat motionless plane just waking up. It is, I have never seen anything like this. I mean, the more our, our sick, sadistic, sociopathic controllers lie to us and lie to us and lie to us, people are just waking up, waking up, waking up, waking up. The ultimate truth we can come to is to uh, Yah's instructions and in righteous living to his Torah. Um, many people reject that, but it's amazing that people are just coming to knowledge of the Torah, even if they reject it. Now, it takes about 25,800 years for the sun to go completely around the zodiac. Let me explain this. At the, at the spring equinox, um, the, one of these 12 constellations, it, the sun is going to be in one of them. So, this is how we kind of you know, measure what age we're in, right, in the spring equinox. And so right now, the sun is moving into Aquarius, um, and it takes, again, 25,800 years estimated for the sun to make a complete cycle. And so we see over here the Prague clock, and it's, of course, in Prague, and it's, it's this amazing uh, medieval cosmic clock that gives the same story. It tells you about the 25,800-year journey of the sun and the moon. So over here, what I did is I took the, uh, the moon map, and I overlaid it with, you know, like a kind of a fake crescent moon. And what you can see is, is the, what happens is with true north, okay, that's represented by the pink line there with N. It's actually moving away from what we call hyperborea, and, that's, and it makes a complete circle and what happens is, is the sun and the moon, they move around true north, and they just keep moving around and around and around. So the idea is, in about, you know, 12,000 years or so, we will be in an ice age here. This will be dark and ice. And when you look at global warming, for example, there's, it, it, some of it's a hoax, some of it's not, because you've got two types of data coming in. There's people putting data out that the glaciers are melting, 
And then there's people putting uh, da data out that it's hardening and getting thicker. Well, according to this, that makes perfect sense. Because if the sun is constantly moving uh, clockwise around the realm, the ice is going to melt as it moves around, and it's going to thicken as it moves away. So the ice wall is constantly fluctuating around the realm. And then we see esoterically all over the Earth this crescent moon. This is uh, you know, kind of uh, personal to me, because down here we see the crescent moon of South Carolina. This was the original, um, the original flag of South Carolina. They added the palm tree in 1861, I think, to give the finger to Lincoln's federal income tax. Um, but this was the original one. It's kind of interesting that in the crescent moon, uh, we see the word liberty. We see it with the uh, Muslims. They have the crescent moon. I will remind everyone before anyone trips out on me that actually they did not incorporate uh, the crescent moon until the last hundred years. I think they might have started really using it in the 1800s. It was with the fall of the Ottoman Empire that they it became the universal symbol. Controllers are all using this everywhere. We see it over here on crest. And what does this mean? Well, my uh, conclusion is that we are in... The crest is the outer realm that we are not in. We are in the dark of the moon. And this is why I call this the outer darkness. And uh, I've done a lot of studies on this. And, and I, I, five years ago, I would have told you a very different story about the outer darkness. I suspect that we are in the outer darkness. This is the, we are the descendants of the rebels. We are the ones who, you know, we are coming to repentance. And we can enter, we, of course, the kingdom is within us, but upon our death, we can enter into the physical kingdom, the realm. Uh, but uh, we are in the place of the weeping and the gnashing of teeth. We are the, the, the children of sorcerers and the unclean outside in New Jerusalem. We were not welcomed into it. And up here, Bob Nodal just died a couple months ago from Globusters. He was the one that kind of made this popular, what's called the coffee cup experiment. And you could do this yourself. You can put a concentrated light into a coffee cup, and you will see how it will create a crescent around it. Now, he, he showed this to explain how you could wrap light around the firmament. Uh, but in this context, all the, the, the texts I read, like um, the visions of Paul and others, uh, Paul talks about how he goes to the hidden wilderness, and he goes, it's within the firmament uh, where New Jerusalem is, but it's outside the realm of the sun and the moon. It's outside of the circuit. It's a place that should be total darkness. It's beyond the ice. But there, there is a light. We all know what the light is. It's the light of Yahushua HaMashiach. There is no need for the sun or the moon there. And you can see that a concentrated light there would light up that whole realm around the firmaments, and it would... You know, all the, all the books I've ever read on the hidden darkness, it is, it is always a land of much brighter, intense light than we have ever experienced here. Well, I have a few more minutes. I'm not going to get into the architecture, unfortunately, all the beautiful Gothic cathedrals that are, you know, like an antique attack, amazing stuff that was all about harvesting energy from the ether for the, uh, for the betterment of humanity to heal the nations. But this is kind of fun. They tell us that um, there is no plumbing in the Dark Ages. And in fact, that was one of the things that, you know, Christianity is to blame for that because they brought down Rome by their poop problems because they didn't like to wash their hands or uh, use plumbing. You can see down there the, the Roman toilets. They like to, you know, the senators, they like to continue their conversations. They went right to the toilets and just kept going. And then up here we see the, the only known uh, toilets from the Middle Ages. It's called a golden tower. It also has other fun names. But it was apparently this little pee hole that you just 
You just let it all down the wall into the moats and all that kind of stuff. And um, so here's a fun quote by uh, Legends of the Jews, and I have backed this up by other passages. And it says, while the people were still abed, uh, Elohim fulfilled their desire and rained down manna for them. So this is the, the generation in the wilderness. They received the manna. For this food had been created on the second day of creation and ground by the angels. Uh, I'll go ahead and read the red parts for lack of time. It says, for in the future world, manna will be set before them. He's talking about the millennial kingdom. In the, the reign of Messiah, the people would get manna once again. And importantly, it says they will have no need of easing themselves. It means that if you eat the manna, you don't have to pee, you don't have to poop. As man is entirely dissolved in the body. This is actually important because people have this theological debate. If, if the camp in the wilderness was something like 14 square miles or something like that, it was in, and you were supposed to basically carry your poop outside the camp, every single time you pooped, you had to go on like a, a 10 to 14, maybe a 20 mile hike. Like, how, how is that possible? Well, According to some of these texts, the idea is, is that the only reason you would ever have to carry your poop is if you sinned. If you eat the manna and you don't sin, you don't poop. If you eat, if you eat the manna and you do sin, you're taking the walk of shame and you're carrying and they're ringing the bell, shame, shame. <laughs> also, uh, according to Legends of Jews, but also I love this because I backed this up with the ascents of Yaakov that comes from the Clementine homilies. It says that what Ever you imagine the food to be, it tasted like that. If you wanted apple pie, if you wanted whatever, I mean, and of course you guys all know the reference there with Willy Wonka. Um, and uh, so that's really awesome. So rain down manna, it was good. And so you have to wonder when the people were complaining about how terrible the manna was, this was food of the angels from heaven, it could taste like whatever they want, you know. Maybe they were complaining because they had to eat it and carry the poop out because they were sinning. All right, so I'm going to end on this. i got a few more minutes. And we see something called water consciousness, and this would lead into the sacred geometry and the architecture of the Gothic cathedrals and how they were built uh, perfectly for these purposes. And uh, this was presented, I believe, yesterday, this idea that you can do these experiments uh, with plants, but you can also do it with water. And you could say nasty, ugly things, and the, the water molecules will change to something ugly, and you could say something beautiful, and they will make these... Uh, sacred designs. Um, some of them look a little cultist to me, but uh, and then of course you see like the eye of Sar Sauron down there for evil, you know, and um, yeah, so I mean think about that, like think about your DNA, you know, and how, you know, when you say nasty things, you're even changing your very own construct, and what we're finding is in all these ancient cities, um, all throughout Europe and all over the world, they were building these cities, these millennial kingdom cities, these cathedrals all around water. You can think of a moat, for example. No, it wasn't to keep the dragons out. And, uh, but even Paris, there's evidence that that was like uh, the rivers of, uh, of Venice at one time, that there, it might have been streets of water. And it was very, very important to build your city around it. We see, well, I'll just jump to this real quick. We see star cities, for example. Uh, all these old maps from uh, medieval cities, uh, they, were, they were built with sacred geometry in mind. It was all a way of harvesting the, e the ether, positive energy, healing people. And here's star forts, and we're told that these were designed by Michelangelo. He designed a lot of uh, stuff. And uh, that these were war forts. Well, the problem I have with this is that 
when you think of war, I think of evil, I think of hate, I think of things like that. I don't think of thank you, wisdom, truth, eternal love, angel, things like that. And we see all these all over uh, these star forts. Now, my theory on this, and they were, of course, built around water that was very important. A lot of them are out in the ocean. My theory on this, I could find be wrong if someone can come up with something better, is that we see in Levit- Leviticus 13 that these were for the, uh, those who were unclean, who were sick. They were places to go. Maybe a priest would be stationed there, and it was a place to go outside of the camp to get better. And uh, they would have been cities like this. If you go to the star forts in America, they're, they were completely destroyed by the military, and they, they give you illustrations that make it look like a military camp. No, they would have had castles like this. I'm sorry, you would not build a castle like that for self-defense. If you're building a star fort to stop cannon fire and things like that, you're not going to build a big, beautiful castle like that. It's not going to work. Uh, you know, I'm going to end there because now I'm going to go into the cathedrals and I just don't have time for it. So I have three minutes left. I have time for the, the, the clock is showing me no mercy today. So if anyone has a reasonable question that uh, I, <laughs> I can actually answer, uh, anyone out there, yes. I believe, I believe in a pretty traditional position, and in fact, uh, I, would, I would tell anybody, I would say, okay, let's say that the Millennial Kingdom hasn't happened yet, and let's start building our eschatology. I'm going to find that most people were going to be on par with everything, all right? Everyone agrees there's a Millennial Kingdom, and then it ends, there's Satan's deception, and it ends on a really dark note. I mean, because the entire world is deceived by Satan, and all that's left is the camp of Yon, the center of the earth, and the nations surrounded to destroy the last remaining stronghold of Yehusha HaMashiach. That's pretty grim. Um, and so what people don't like to hear a lot of the time is that we are at that point. They want to hear, well, that's way off in the future and that kind of stuff. So, no, I agree with a lot of the eschatological models, not all of them, but some of them. I'm just, I just have the opinion that Yehusha HaMashiach showed up as the last great prophet. He prophesied the destruction of Jerusalem. It was his, one of his, aside from his resurrection, it was probably his greatest prophecy. And that uh, he did, it happened and he did and he fulfilled exactly what he said he would do on the schedule when he said he would do it. He said he was coming swiftly, he was coming soon. Everybody in the New Testament, Paul is saying, uh, we who remain will be caught up. He's saying that he will be a part of that. Every single person in there, they are giving a strict language of it's coming, he is at the door now. When I think of Yahushua Hamid, when I think of somebody's at my door and they're knocking at the door, I don't think that they're like 10 miles down the road stuck in traffic. Like, I'm saying, hey, they're at the door, let's go answer the door. And that's what everyone in the New Testament is saying. He is at the door. He is coming now to fulfill what he said he's going to do. And so, yeah, that, that's my position. And one more time, one more question. No? All right, that's good. So, um, what was, oh, yes. Well, what was that? What was, Joey, what did you say? Oh, seven minutes. My clock says a minute, so... Oh, that was for my speech. Well, it's in the red now. So yes, go ahead. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it, you, you look at like prophetic language. You see like the, the moon will go blood red. 
You know, the sun will turn to sackcloth. There'll be earthquakes. There'll be wars. Let's take, like, the four horsemen of the apocalypse, right? Let's go through the four horsemen. The first is, uh, many people say it's the Antichrist, but it's deception, propaganda, lies. The next is war, and then you get into the third is famine, and then finally death. I believe these are actually four. I, I think there's good reason to believe these are four actual angels uh, traveling around. Uh, that being said, you see this cyclically all through history. What happens is propaganda, you know, the lies, the deception. It leads to war. What does war lead to? It leads to famine, destruction, then it leads to death. We see this all throughout history. And people are like, oh, they haven't come yet. Well, they came in World War II. They came all through history. Um, and so you can actually take the four horsemen of the apocalypse, and you could actually uh, you could overlay Matthew 24 when he taught, you know, it's the big war, this or that generation. It, you can lay them right over, and it's a perfect fit. And so, and a lot of times, yes, in, in, in prophetic language, we see repeated events, you know, the, the coming of the locusts and all these different things like that. Uh, what, I would, what I would specify, though, is different with Revelation is that we have to identify, for example, we could just say, like, you know, we are ruled by the beast, right? Because Yah sees the governments of the world as beast governments. But there are some things different. For example, who is the, the horror of Babylon? Well, if anyone can agree that the whore of Babylon is the Yahudim, we have a problem then if Yehuda was, I believe they were divorced back in 70 AD. They killed the bridegroom. They murdered him. He gave him 40 years of repentance. Paul was writing about it all through Romans 2 and 3. He's like, you guys think that you can do whatever you want and that the Torah, does not, uh, you do, the Torah will not hold you accountable because you're the chosen race. Uh, no, think again. He's coming for you first. He is coming to your house. He will bring judgment on you, and then he will work on the goyim. Um, and so if, if we can agree that the, the horror of Babylon is Yehuda, that he divorced Israel in the Old Testament, and then we see the divorce of Yehuda in the New Testament, you, that's not a repeated event. That's a one-time affair. It happened in 70 AD. I personally believe he is done with the land. He is done with Israel. Uh, 1948 is not, um, that is, <laughs> that's not a movement of Yah. Uh, that is a, a movement of Satan, uh, I believe. It's not even the people that were settling in there. And uh, so I can't say that that is the, 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 the gunshot mark of like renewed prophecy, right? If that makes any sense. Yes. Yeah, this is a... I appreciate that question, Michael, because this is something, frankly, this generation is the most entitled generation, right? The me, me, me generation, you know, YouTube, right? It's your tube, MySpace, you know, your Facebook, all this kind of stuff. And, you know, back in the day, like the baby boomers, I think, had an average of like two or three photos in their house. I think the average millennial or whatever the generation is now, they have over 200 of themselves just in their house. It's a very, very entitled generation. And I'm uh, people come up to me all the time, and they're like, you're stealing my hope, Noel. You're stealing it all. I wanted to go in the Millennial Kingdom and repopulate with ten wives, you know, ten virgins, and all this kind of stuff. And, and it's like, it's like, it's just this entitlement that Yad owes this to me. He owes this. It's like, well, first of all, there's, there's, classific there's qualifications for who are the 144,000 and others. Do you really meet that, first of all? Uh, but secondly, it's like, I, I would have loved to have been in the Garden of Eden. I would have loved to. Um, I would have loved to have met Abraham. I would have loved to have walked with Yahushua Hamashiach. There's all sorts of things I would have loved to have been a part of, and I missed out on it. I could be entitled of, oh God, why, why did you send me to this rotten generation? I wish I was, you know, I was wish I was walking with you, one of your disciples. It didn't work out that way, 
And the thing is, is that we have all of eternity to look forward to. Like, it, guys, like, come on. We got, we're coming up on the eighth grade day. Enoch says that when this week cycle comes to an end, whole new week cycles uh, kick up. And we may very well be, you know, the angels in the coming um, uh, weeks to whole new groups of people, of sinners who are ministering to them. We have so much to look forward to. Um, yeah. So hopefully I answered that, Michael. I'm not quite sure. Yes. Yeah, I, I possibly. I, I, I don't know what's next. Um, I know that uh, New Jerusalem will either come down or be revealed. I believe there's there's. I believe that the the aim of Zionism, ironically enough, is to rally the nations to attack the real Mount Zion. Right? We talk about the alien uh, invasion. A lot of us are saying, is it really going to be evil aliens, or are are the aliens actually going to be the fathership? Right? New Jerusalem. The nations have to rally together against the great threat that is going to melt, you know, the, they have to build these underground tunnels and live like cockroaches down there because they can't escape, they know what's coming. So, you know, they're not, they're not building the underground tunnels for the aliens, they're building it for perhaps, and I'm not saying this is uh, the outcome, but perhaps it is for New Jerusalem. So, yeah, and then of course we're all gonna be judged and so on, and I, you know, I, I have a lot of questions myself as to what is next. But again, that's why I started out saying, look into the eighth great day and all the wonderful things that are fulfilled on the eighth great day. Joy, how are we doing? Okay. Thank you, everybody.